Before we gather around the table for communion today, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. The message is entitled, The King Begins, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd fill me now with your Holy Spirit, that this flock might be fed your word. And Lord, that I might be spirit-filled and that each one of us might be spirit-filled as listeners, that you might have your way in our life, that the word of God might be applied, that we might be equipped for anything you've called us to, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I've said it before, there are all kinds of books written about ministry and strategy. This message is entitled, The King Begins. But the king has a strategy. You know what a strategy strategy is? To follow the Father, to obey. Jesus said to us, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In the Old Testament, we have the example of the children of Israel. They were given the instruction, when you see the pillar of cloud by day, you follow it. And when it settles down, that's where you put the the tabernacle up, and then you arrange your dwelling places around the tabernacle. And at night, if if that pillar, that that Shekinah glory of God leads you, it will be a pillar of fire. And if that pillar of fire stops, then you stop and you set up camp. And that's where you're going to stay until it's lifted up again. Simple, not easy. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ is not telling us to do something that he didn't do himself. He said, I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's given us the instruction of his word. And he expects to hear from us in prayer. That's how the Lord knew where he was supposed to go. How do you know that, Pastor? Because the Bible says in John 5, 19 and 20, they're questioning him. And Jesus says, whatever the son sees the father doing, that's what he does. Before Jesus picked out his disciples for apostles, those that he named out of his disciples to be apostles, he spent the night in prayer. You say, well, he was God. Couldn't he just know? No, because he might, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest, that he might be an encouragement for us to follow him so we don't have any excuse. He surrendered the use of his godness. And he went in the power of the Holy Spirit and in prayer and in the light of the word. But the Bible says if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart, right? That means you don't go to church, then he gives you Mercedes. That means when you follow the Lord, you delight in him. He's the one that gives you the desires that you have. Some of you this morning, after watching that film, God might have used one of those weird people groups that you never heard of, and all of a sudden you go, whoa, what are those people? Who are those people? 
Because God doesn't send people against their will to do his business. He changes our will to match his and we go full of his enthusiasm and the Holy Spirit to do his work. Now here, it says that Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody. What the other gospels said, when Jesus heard that people were saying that Jesus and his disciples were baptizing more than John, he withdrew into Galilee. We don't get all the backstory that's going on here. Matthew just picks up where Jesus is going to move to his hometown and the reason he went there. See, Jesus came out of the wilderness and he met John. And if you look in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, a delegation comes from Jerusalem to ask John who he is. And the next day he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. He said that again and there were some fellas there, John and Andrew. And those, uh, they started following him. And I love this part of the story because it shows, I think, the humor of Jesus and kind of, you know, sometimes we miss the, the story that's going on. So they're just following Jesus. They just did what John said, follow him. So they start following him. And Jesus turns around and says, what do you fellows want? John says, uh, where are you staying at? <laughs> I don't know. We're supposed to follow you. Where are you staying at? And Jesus says, why don't you come and see? So they came and stayed with him that night. They spent the night fellowshipping with the king. And the next day, Andrew wanted to find his brother and John wanted to find his friends. Then Jesus went looking and found Philip. And then Philip found Nathaniel. And for a little while, they kind of ministered together. So we have the story of the first miracle in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus was there and and those men were there and saw the water turn to wine. And only they and the servants knew something had happened. It wasn't big. Jesus cleansed the temple. On hearing some of this news about John, whether it was the baptizing more than someone else, he starts to head back towards Galilee. He passes through Samaria because our God is a missionary God. And he ministers to those Samaritans. Remember the Samaritan woman who had five husbands and the one she was living with wasn't her husband? She believes in Christ and tells her neighbors. And then Jesus goes on and he ends up back in his own hometown. And we see the strategy of Jesus in his ministry. Jesus casts a large net. We see that in the last three verses of this chapter. And he's fulfilling scripture by healing the sick and by feeding and doing all these wonderful things, but then he teaches them. And in his teaching, because he teaches the whole council, he's always narrowing people down to who is really going to put their trust in him. And so he goes to Nazareth, his hometown, and they don't really know what to think. They're saying all kinds of nice things about him. They're going, really? He's the Messiah. I mean, we know where he came from. That's Joseph's son. But that's not everything they were saying, was it? Because later on, it kind of comes out, we're not, the, we're not the result of fornication. Neither was Jesus. But you know how tongues will wag in the neighborhood. But they've heard all these wonderful things, the words getting around, and so he comes to church. He goes to synagogue that day. And so when a 
visiting rabbi comes, they'd often, often have him read the scripture. So they hand him the scrolls and he turns to Isaiah 61. He begins to read a prophecy about himself, about how when the Messiah comes, he comes to a dark place and he's going to bring healing and light and salvation in the favorable year of the Lord. And then he stops. He hands the scroll back and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And the Bible says there in Luke 4 that they start talking about, oh, that's really, son of Joseph. Oh, it's really nice, really nice. Jesus didn't stop there. He says, surely a prophet is not with honor except for in his own country. And there were a lot of widows without food, but God sent Elijah to a Gentile widow and provided for her. And there were a lot of people in Israel that had leprosy, but God healed a Gentile, Naaman, a Syrian. And one day you're going to say, well, you should have done some miracles here in Nazareth. What was he doing? He's pointing out the wickedness of their heart. And they got the point. And we read it and we go, well, Seems kind of innocuous to us. What was the big deal? They knew what he was talking about. The Bible says the whole synagogue was filled with rage. And they got up to kill the king. And Jesus passed through their midst. But he also knew it was time to change his headquarters. So he takes his family, his mother and his brothers, and he moves them down to Capernaum to fulfill the scripture. See, Jesus' strategy was to obey the word of God and his father. But it's wonderful to see that in God's strategy, when he begins to reach people, the way he does it. You see, we like comfortable ministry. Years ago, when Pastor Howe was still pastoring up in Billings, and we were building our building. He said, Paul, you should talk to this Bible church downtown because they've, they're selling the property and they're going to get rid of all their things. And they gave us a whole church full of pews and then they gave us a really good deal on this wonderful piano. So, you should, so we called them and we talked to them and we came up and we got all those pews we had for a while, which John Aaron still hates they're not here, but that's okay. One day we'll have fixed seating again, John. And we got the piano. But as we were loading the piano, there was a couple of Native Americans that were drunk. And one of them fell down off the curb and cut his head. And my sons David and Sam were there. I think with John Hutchison, we were just getting the piano that day. And so Sammy went over and picked him up and helped minister to him. And then by the time we came back, we saw what was going on. And Sam called for an ambulance and they came and helped that man to the hospital so that he could be ministered to. And the pastor came later and heard what had happened. He says, yeah, this is a bad place for a church. And we said, no, it's too bad, but this is a good place for a church. People are hurting down. You know what the church has done across America? When things got tough and uncomfortable, we moved out of the city. We took the salt and light out of the city because we're just comfortable with our own kind. Do you know why the Christian school movement just took off so strongly in the South? Because when our government was going to force integration, a lot of good Christian people said, my kids are not going to school. Black kids, we'll start our own school. Now, I'm not against Christian school, 
But instead of being salt and light in those inner cities and those places, no, 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 not for us. Our kids are not going to be missionaries. They're not going to be lights. We're going to pull them out. And so churches and people, when things get rough or we hear about a country, we say, oh, no, I'm not going there, and I'm certainly not going to send my children there because I like comfort. People told me when I moved to Laramie, people from Wyoming, oh, why would you want to go to Laramie? so dark there. I'm like, not dark. Those are just college kids, right? <laughs> you, know, you don't get college kids? I love college kids. And that's the reason God drew me to Laramie. When I heard there's an opportunity to come to Laramie, I got so excited because I grew up in Wheatland. And every Wyoming kid, if he goes or not, he thinks about, I'm going to the University of Wyoming. I'm going to be a cowboy. And I thought, what a mission field. Not even understanding of all the people from all over the world that come to Laramie. And I've told you before that I asked that lady one time, probably out of ignorance, I was only 29. We were four blocks from the university. I said, where are the college people? I didn't really understand the history at that point. She said, hey, we like our little church. Now, folks, don't be too critical of her. That's most of America in churches. We just want to be comfortable. That's why they say in most churches, not ours, but in most churches, Sunday morning worship is the most segregated hour in America. Because black people go to black churches, white people go to white churches, Hispanic people go to Hispanic churches. And that's so sad. And that's because the people that had the money could afford to leave the inner city And so we all could stay the same shade of comfort, right? That's not what God wants. You ever get a chance to go to Germany or as I was talking about the film, what a blessing. Do you know in David's church, not one elder comes from the same country. There are not two elders come from from the same country in that church. There's almost 50 churches, 50 different countries represented in that church. I think that makes God smile. Jesus started his ministry in the darkest part of Israel. He commenced to preach. And J. Vernon McGee points out that in the Old Testament that he's quoting here in Isaiah 9, it says they were standing in darkness. Things had gotten so bad that people had given up. Now, he says, they're sitting in the darkness. There is no hope. Galilee had been the place that got overrun several times and different peoples had groups have been sown there. So there's always this mix of cultures and mix of people. And the people in Jerusalem, Judea, kind of looked down on the Galileans. They're not quite what we are. And I think Jesus, by God's direction, did that on purpose so that later when the disciples are preaching the word of God the way Jesus preached the word of God, they recognize them as, oh, yeah, you're with him. Because the Galileans even had a different accent. Now, Jerusalem, you'll hear this if you go to Israel with Dr. Bookman. Israel was designed by God because he has a missionary heart that all the world could pass by Israel and hear the good news of a God that loves the world that he created. But Jerusalem was protected. To go to Jerusalem, you have to go there on purpose. But Galilee was right on the highway of the world that went from the Fertile Crescent all the way down to Egypt. Everybody passed by there. 
Everybody could hear. Syrians above them, Phoenicia on one side, the Gentiles on the other, and surrounded by Romans. Along the Sea of Galilee, the Romans had put sea resorts or lake resorts, shore resorts, places where people could get away and enjoy, and it were places of sin and darkness. And Jesus went there first. He went there first. To fulfill scripture, to have a strategic place that the word of this missionary God who sent his only begotten son could go to the whole world right there from Galilee. He begins there. And what does he preach? He preaches the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Repent. The darkness in which the people live was the darkness of sin and evil. That's what Jesus was saying. It wasn't just the oppression of the Romans that brought darkness. It was their own heart. And just like the rest of Israel, they thought they had that part figured out. What God needed to do was send the Messiah to kick Rome out so they could kick out all the people they didn't like. And then they'd be comfortable. And then things would be good. We think the same thing sometimes. When it comes to government, if we could just get the right government in. And the Bible says that he has come that we might be overcomers. Not just to have everything comfortable, but to let our light shine in the darkness. It's wonderful in this church that God has called people from every walk of life. We're not the same. We're not the same color. We're not the same ethnicity. We don't have the same experience in life. God loves that. Because there are people that we can go back to and bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ. The problem was their heart. To repent means to turn from sin, to change one's orientation, to turn around and seek a new way. Metaneo literally means a change of perception, a change in the way we see something. To repent, therefore is to change the way a person looks at sin and the way he looks at righteousness. And that's what Jesus' method was. He cast a large net as he was obedient to the Father and he was fulfilling scripture and he was healing. He was causing the blind to see, the lame to walk, and the dead to rise. And he was feeding the multitudes miraculously. And all the crowds came to hear him. And then what do we do? Preach doctrine. Preach repent. The problem's with you. The darkness comes from within you, not the outside. And then the people would melt away. What's the example? The example's in the own, his own hometown that he came. Well, if he would have just affirmed them, they'd say, oh, great, he's from our town. He belongs to us, but he did not affirm them. He said they needed a change of heart, and they said, you need to leave. In fact, you need to die. And the example in John chapter 6, when the day before he'd fed 5,000 plus women and children, we think probably up to 12,000 people or more. And next they show up for more bread, and they say, give us the bread of heaven. Our fathers in the wilderness got the bread of heaven. He said, no, that was manna. That was physical food. And they ate God's provision of physical food, and they died. I'm the bread of heaven. They said, evermore, give us this bread. So he began to teach them the doctrine of his substitutionary atonement, that they must partake of his life, 
eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, what happened? They all went away. And Jesus, you see the humanness of his heart, looks at his disciples because they probably had that look on their face too. What? Eat your flesh, drink your blood? We can't do that. that. That's a whole new way of thinking. And Jesus said to them with heavy heart, are you going to go away too? The words that I speak to you are spiritual and they are life. And he began to teach them. They must become partakers of his life. It's not communion. It's a spiritual partaking of the life of Christ. They need to be born again. Jesus was always doing this. In the next chapter, he's healing. And then in chapter 5, he sits down and begins to teach them the mandates of the king in the Sermon on the Mount. He's always casting a net and then sharing the truth. And Jesus says at the end of the great Sermon on the Mount... Narrow is the way, straight or hard is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. See, the disciples were some of those few because they didn't understand the parables. They said, Lord, we don't understand. Would you explain it to us? The rest of them just went away. We don't want to hear this guy. That's what Jesus' method was, to get to the heart of the matter. His invitation was not... Ask me in your heart, and then everything will be great. He said, no, no. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Follow me. Where was he going? To the place of sacrifice. His method was preaching. That's not popular today, is it? It's never been popular, guys. Preaching is to those that perish foolishness. But to us that are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. What is is preaching? It is proclamation. R.C.H. Linsky comments this way. The point to be noted when Jesus was preaching, that's that word, keruso, to proclaim. To preach is not to argue, reason, or dispute, or convince by intellectual proof. Against all of which a keen intellect may bring a counter-argument. We simply state in public or testify to all men the truth which God bids us to state. No argument can assail the truth presented in this announcement or testimony. Men either believe the truth, as all sane men should, or refuse to believe it, as only fools venture to do. Jesus preached his message with certainty. He did not come to dispute or to argue, but to proclaim, to preach. Preaching is the proclamation of certainties, not the suggestion of possibilities. Jesus also preached as one having authority, not as their scribes. What he proclaimed not only was certain, but it was of the utmost authority. And then Jesus said to us, all authority is given to us. Go therefore, preach the gospel to every creature. Not just the comfortable places, but the uncomfortable places. And the amazing thing about grace is when he calls, he gifts you for that call, and he will give you a supernatural enthusiasm about the place that you're going. That's why our hearts are thrilled when we hear about somebody that's come to Christ. That's the way I grew up in my home. Hearing the testimonies and and praying for people and hearing missionaries come and having those people on the slides that we saw, uh, here's a fellow that was a cannibal before, and here's a fellow that, that beat everybody around him, and now he's a pastor. 
we say, oh, I grew up thinking, oh, I want to see some of that. And evangelists would come and talk about people whose lives were changed. And I would say to myself, you know, I'd like to see that happen. And God has given us this precious treasure in earthen vessels, Jesus Christ. And he has given us the gospel. That's why he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we preach not ourselves. Not about us. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Not about your personality, your ability to reason and explain. It's about just sharing the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing a light to the dark places. Now, I realize that in many senses of the, of the reality, we live in the strong man's house because we have the, the place of reason down here, the University of Wyoming. And of all places in the state, they have no room for God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, Jesus is not intimidated. He is the hammer that breaks the hard hearts in pieces. And if we go with the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, we can see that miracle, the greatest miracle of all, of seeing somebody come from darkness to light. But here's the question. Are we available? Is your heart really surrendered to him? You see, the reason the people stayed in the dark is because that's the way they liked it. They were comfortable with it. They had no hope. They said, in order for me to have satisfaction, they said to themselves, was this sin or that sin or this pursuit? But they'd never considered there was another option. Have you considered it this morning? That there's maybe a way out of your discouragement and your darkness and your hopelessness. It is Jesus Christ. You say, but I don't think I can change my life. Here's the good news, folks. You don't have to. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, your need is a sinner. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sin because he paid for it already on the cross. Here's the hope. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what he does. The one who spoke the worlds into existence, Revelation 1.5 in the King James says, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the kings of the princes of the earth, kneels down and washes you from your sin in his own blood. Amazing, amazing message. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, we thank you that as our example, you started in the hard place. Where everybody else, there's no hope for those people. They've got it all wrong. And you went there and you shine the light on them. And then you say to us as your children, you have the keys to eternal life. You gave the apostles the gospel and they gave it to us. Oh Lord, that we might be faithful in our time, in our place, in spite of whatever government, or culture, or place you put us, that we might walk in victory, that we might shed, bring the light and shed it around us, that others might hear and might see and might come to know you, and then we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.